So blessed by Jared using his uh, gifting to praise the Lord. I don't know where he is, but I just wanted to give another shout out to him and thank him for blessing God and letting us be in the presence as he was worshiping the Lord. Let's pray together, family. Lord, we do delight in your ways and are thankful for this time. Your word speaks to who we are. And so, Lord, let us have an ear to hear. It has never been an issue with your voice or your word. And it's always an issue with our arrogance, our pride. Um, Whether it's we think too low of ourselves or too high, Lord, we're asking that you remove those things so that we could hear from you clearly. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you need a Bible, please raise your hands. We're going to be going through the Word today. Uh, one of our amazing servants in the body will bring a Bible to you. Uh, as always, we are a church that wants to grow in the understanding of the Word. And so if you have a question, you can actually ask it in the midst of service. But we ask one small caveat that you think and try to use your question to be for everybody's benefit. That it's a, maybe a, a, something that will help us all learn the text. If it's a nuance that you've always wondered about or wrestled with, please, after service, come on up front. Talk to me. Let's connect. I would love to be a, um, love to be a resource to you or get you uh, answers to your questions. I love that we've been uh, singing some songs today and my brother was up here doing his mime thing to the Lord and like songs are near and dear to my heart. I love music and uh, uh, songs can kind of operate as, as a as a time machine, if you will. Like a good song will take you back to a moment in your life. I mean, I was raised in a generation where dancing was serious. So, you know, I grew up Michael Jackson era. You know, and I remember some of Michael Jackson's songs. And I remember I had, you know, this tight fake leather jacket these really tight, tight jeans. I couldn't even fit a nickel in my pocket, you know? Like, I remember exactly what I was wearing. I also remember my emotion, because I was sad, because my mother wouldn't let me get a jerry curl, you know? Like, I remember these things, you know? I also grew up with MC Hammer, and MC Hammer, that brother, I mean, he would run from one end to the room to the other end to the room, drop to the floor, jump up. You thought you were getting a CrossFit workout trying to dance like MC Hammer. I mean, it was, it was intense. And I remember, though, the joy of it all, because even dancing to those songs, you always dance with your crew. So it was about 15 of my friends, and we were just trying to, trying to dance. I also remember, I remember... And I was with my family, and uh, my uncle passed away. I remember uh, us all being there, and there was this weight in the room. And we didn't know how to process it. We were struggling with the grief of it all. And then they turned on his eyes on a sparrow. And it was like a ray of light came through the room and just provided a, a sense of healing that we all just needed that day. It was, a, it was a way of putting words to emotion that we just couldn't in that moment. Songs have great power, great opportunity to, to worship. So today, we're actually going to look at a song. It's the first song written in the Bible, and it comes from our brother Moses. Will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 15? Exodus chapter 15. And I want to give you just a short recap because we've been going through the, through the book of Exodus. 
And uh, I can't give it all to you, but a short recap. God is trying to show the world that he is God and God alone. He set apart the people of Israel as his own, and he uses 10 plagues to provide their freedom from their oppressors, the Egyptians. As they leave Egypt, Pharaoh realizes that he wants his slaves back. And so he gives chase with his army after the people of God, and it seems like they're trapped. They have the Red Sea behind them, and they've got this army coming before them. But God manifests himself in the form of a cloud to protect them. He then parts the sea and provides dry ground for them to walk through as an escape. But when the Egyptians' army gives chase, God releases the walls of water and crushes the army. And that entire experience leads to this word that can be found actually, excuse me, in the chapter beforehand, the last verse, chapter 14, verse 31. And it's, and it's a word that starts with a T. It says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Trust. You might have an NIV or some different translation. Sometimes it says belief that this situation created belief and trust in the people of God. So then we go to our text today. It's out of a new belief in a God that loves them, a new trust in a God that loves them. that Moses writes these words. Chapter 15, verse one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. After God performing a a, a miracle like this flows out of the heart of Moses a response. A response. He's thankful. He he he. His trust increased, his belief increased, so he gives a response. How could you not respond after such an amazing act? Dare I say anything that is out of the world, that is a miracle situation like this, requires some sort of response. Notice the focus of the first lyric in the sentence. In the first sentence, he says, I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is the focus. It is who the song is written to with the aim of exaltation. And exaltation is, is simply lifting up or raising high a person in your words or in your actions. So Moses writes a song. He writes a, a worship song. And many have defined that worship is, is they, they, they've come up with different definitions. I wanted to take a stab at the definition of worship myself. So I said, I believe it is this. It is worship is the believer's response to God, his character, and his manifestation, which is supremely revealed in Jesus. 
Worship is the believer's response to God, God's character, and his manifestation, which is supremely revealed in Jesus Christ. This song is written after a battle. It's written after God stomps the Egyptians on behalf of his people. For those of us at times that think low of ourselves, what does it mean that this God loves you enough to fight for you? What does it mean that this God who who cherishes you, yeah, in the midst of all of our shortcomings, all of our ways where we don't feel like we measure up, what does it mean that this God loves you enough to fight for you? This song starts with the aim of the entire, the entire scriptures of chapter 15, specifically through 21. It starts with the aim of worshiping God and exalting him above all things. But let's continue on and see uh, how that exaltation is fleshed out in verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger and it consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? God is mighty and powerful and has all creation, including nature, at his disposal to crush the enemies of his people. The blast of his nostrils in verse 8 can create walls of water that will divide a sea and allow his people to walk through on dry ground. Or the blowing of his breath can release those walls and crush the enemies of the people of Israel. God is in a league of his own. Who is like him? No one. Which is why we worship God and God alone. But in in verse 11, there's a word there. There's a word we don't often use as it relates to people. Because we we should not be exalting man too high. But it's one that gets fleshed out throughout our lives. It's a word called glory. Glory in verse 11 was a term that was used in the Bible prior to the biblical writers. And it it simply meant to have an abundance, an abundance of wealth, an abundance of treasure, uh, whatever it is that bring people's attention to you. That's what glory was. So if you can imagine, it would be like today, a guy pulling up. And he, he, this guy, is he's stunting, or sorry, he's flossing, or sorry, he's showboating, okay? Brand new car. Brand new outfit, you know? Not a hair out of place. Teeth wider than a fresh pack of printer paper, you know? I mean, he, 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 and, and everyone says, who is that? What, what, what is, who, you seem important. What do you do? Who do you know? You know, they gain the attention, gain the gaze of people through the things that they possess. 
showboating. But glory, glory, that's glory of man. But what is God's glory? What are the things that adorn God? What is it that makes humanity honor him, that draws our attention to him? His holiness. He's totally separate from the world, not bound by its ways, yet he enters into our reality so that we can have an image to aspire to. Something we can conform to. We want to conform to his likeness, not the likeness of the world. Also, his, his, um, his splendor. He's the most impressive thing that you can imagine. His perfection. He lacks nothing. His omniscience. He knows everything in his omnipresence. He's, while, while he knows everything, he's also everywhere all at the same time. I keep going with all these things that adorn him, that, 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 that draw our attention, I've got to say mercy, grace, peace. The list keeps going on and on. St. Francis de Sales said this. He said, some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse. They wear a feather in their hat or are dressed in a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the folly of this? If there be any glory in such things, the glory should belong to the horse. Should belong to the bird and to the tailor. You see, you're foolish to put your value and your worth in these created things. Something that steals and grabs your attention for only a moment. We didn't make the suit. We're not the tailor. We didn't make the car. We're not the designer. Money can lose its value like that and not be worth Something that you dry your hands with after going to the bathroom. But God's glory, his holiness, his perfection, his majesty are attributes that are eternal and are for God and God alone. And the Bible tells us that this glory entered into the situation of the people of Israel and manifested manifested himself as a cloud and guided them by day, protecting them at night. His presence is glorious. It is worthy of our gaze. It is worthy of our attention. It is worthy of our reverence. And the the Bible reveals to us that this amazing glory, which uh, which was manifested in that way, also gets manifested in Jesus. Every single attribute that we aspire, that, that we look to and say, wow, this is otherworldly. We don't even know what perfection is, but we know God possesses it. It was revealed in Jesus. Continue on with me to verse 12. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your failing, unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them by the power of your arm. They will be as still as a stone until your people pass by. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The Lord, you may, excuse me. On the mountains of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. 
your lo- the Lord reigns forever and ever. So what happens when, when a beautiful, holy God enters into their situation? He makes them victorious. But he first assures them that their journey is not done. See, the whole chief end wasn't just to beat the Egyptians. Remember, this was all about a promise to free them and to provide them with a land that their people would be able to call their own, flowing with milk and honey. Remember that? So now anything that would get in the way of his people being able to experience this land, this promised land, would have to be eradicated. It would have to be eliminated. But while providing a place for his people, he would teach them, teach the whole world that he is God and God alone. We know that when miracles happen, word travels fast. So all of these cities that are listed in this, in this section of the verses, all of these cities were lined up and were going to be cities that the people of Israel were going to pass. So it's like if, if, if tonight I said, you know, hey, man, this guy was walking on water across Belle Isle. Like the word would get down to, you know, uh, Lincoln Park, then from Lincoln Park down river, then to Toledo. You know, it's like a progression down I-75. That's, that's what this is saying here. And it's almost as if, it's almost as if you, can, you can take a snapshot into the people, of, the people that are going to be their enemies meeting at a trading post. And a conversation went something like this. Have you heard about the Egyptians, man? Did you hear about them? Man, they were stomped out. Did you hear about who? The Philistines. No, it wasn't the Philistines. The Amalekites. Nope, not the Amalekites. Man, you know who stumped them out? They're slaves. What? They're slaves? Yeah, they're slaves, man. Stumped them out. And guess what? He's so powerful that the slaves weren't even the ones fighting. He used nature. But that's not the worst of it all. The worst part is they're coming this way. (laughs) Proof proof of this fear traveling throughout the throughout uh, uh, the nation along the corridor by which they're traveling. Proof of this is found in Joshua. In Joshua's second chapter, Rahab, a prostitute that's helping Joshua spies, she says these words in verse nine, chapter two. She says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Melting in fear. Why? Because this God has allowed his power to benefit the Israelites in a way that prevailed over Egypt and stirred fears in the communities that they would travel through. Nobody is scared of the people of Israel, but everybody is scared of their God. And that is the way it should be. That we don't have to be a people who are trying to fight our own fights. You won't win. But you're, you're, that our God is the one who will fight on our behalf. This song allowed their their reality to be expressed in worship. 
Their reality was they were going to come against some enemies. They were going to come against some people who hated them, but that their God would protect them as he did at the Red Sea. He would protect them as they passed each of these enemies that wanted to punish them. Their, their, their reality entered into their worship. Rebecca and I, we were, uh, we were at the altar. It was our wedding day, and in the beginning of our relationship, uh, we agreed that we would try to pursue holiness uh, in, in this certain way so that we didn't want to kiss, actually, until the day we got married. Now, we're not saying that it's wrong to kiss or nothing like that. You do what honors the Lord in your relationship, okay? In our relationship, that's what we was trying to do. Somebody, don't, don't try to hide kissing when you see pastor coming. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> but in our relationship, that's what we try to do. So uh, the, 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 the pastor saying the stuff, you know, he's up there giving us the charge and stuff. And, you know, you're so excited. You're not thinking straight. You know, you're thinking about all your friends, your family, the night after. You know, you think about a lot of stuff. And so, you know, you, I don't hear what he's saying. But then he says something. He's like, you may now kiss your bride. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was because I was switching from single to being married. If it was because I changed positions or if it was because like there was a new reality where I realized, man, I'm going to be able to kiss this woman for the rest of my life now. I don't know what happened. But when he said you can kiss your bride, I just started dancing, y'all. Yes. I danced at the altar, grandma in the first seat. I'm dancing. <laughs> it, it, it just came out of me. I, I, I don't know. I mean, th- this is what happened to the people of Israel. They just experienced a miracle and said, you know what? From our hearts, we have to worship this God. They did it in song. Let me ask you a question. They went from being slaves of Egypt to being free. What would be the response of your heart if you went from being a slave to sin to being free to be righteous to a holy, towards a holy God? A slave now to righteousness. What would be your response? What would be the way to, that, that, that we would express it from our hearts if this God who saves changes us from the position of a sinner to a saint? You see, they did it in a song through worship. First song ever written. That, that, that desire, that call, that response of worship from our hearts, we haven't outgrown that. We haven't evolved as a human race. That's embedded within us. Don't hold that back. Miriam says, you know what? I got to praise in my own way. Verse 20, Miriam and the prophet, Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sisters, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. See, Miriam, she looks at Moses, and she's like, okay, that's all good. It took you 21 verses. I'm kind of like Hillsong. I just can do it in like two words. You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of like Shirley Caesar. Two words, say them over and over again. I'm good. You know, so she grabs a tambourine, which is what a timbrel is. She grabs that tambourine and, and, and she goes out with the girls and they begin dancing, praising, 
worshiping. Well, pastor, I don't I don't write songs. Okay, this is focused on a on a song. That's the expression. This is this is what it is. But pastor, I don't write songs. But what do you do? What do you do that communicates your heart is thankful? That communicates your heart has been has experienced a holy God loving you. What do you do that thanks the Lord? I was in the uh, in the house looking for something and and I couldn't find it. And uh, I was searching everywhere. I kept looking, trying to find all these different spots. And then I found it. And I was like, oh, praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You know, and so this happened a number of different times. What happened in, in a manner where I didn't realize how loud I was. So the kids came running in. Everything OK, Daddy? You OK? Like, yeah, I'm cool. Well, yeah, everything's good. It's like, well, what happened? I, I found what I was looking for, and I was just thanking the Lord that he brought me to it. Okay, cool. So time goes by, weeks, months. I hear one of my kids like, thank you, Lord. I'm like, what? So I run in. What's going on? Everything okay? Yeah, I was there trying to find something. I found it, and <laughs> I was thanking the Lord. What's the problem? You know? But, 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 but what I realized was that my, my daughter is starting to learn and my kids are starting to learn what, it, what does it look like for daddy to express thanks in the home, okay? But at some point, my hope is to shift it and say, no, what's it look like for you? You're a kid now, so all you do is imitate. That's cool, all right? We got to start somewhere. As you see, I imitate y'all in a lot of praise ways. They won't let me get the mic because a brother can't sing, but I love imitating. You know, I'm okay with that. To, to build up the, the, the discipline to be able to worship in a way that brings God honor. But at some point, God is saying, yeah, but how are you going to do it? What's your rhythm? What's your health? What are you going to make me, Marvin? What, what type of furniture are you going to make me? What type of painting are you going to make me, sis? What type of poem are you going to write me, bruh? What type of mind performance are you going to do for me? Some of us just need to... We, we, we write about so much stuff on Facebook. When's the last time you put a post out praising the Lord on Facebook? When's the last time in DTE's line you were so thankful for being able to pay your bill? You just stopped and said, thank you. I don't know what it looks like. To not do it, though, isn't an option. And so this Moses leads us, leads his people by responding and saying, I'm going to write a song. Because what he just did, I got to praise him. But unfortunately, my, 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 our praise gets challenged because, see, there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And though I was able to praise in my home, that praise was limited. You know, it's, 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 it's not it's not that same ripple effect that happened with the Israelites that went before all my enemies. You know, it's not like when I'm going to craft work, all my neighbors are like, oh, he prayed. Boom. Here he comes. You know, it's like, no, no, it, it doesn't have that same ripple effect. But it does have an effect against our number one enemy, against Satan. Because, see, Satan knows now, oh, when Leon is able to come through, when the people of God are able to come through a situation, they're going to give God praise. They're going to give God praise. And right now there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. We can't see it. Satan is not a not a mega power fighting against God. I mean, we're not it's a battle going on, but he he is limited. 
He, he, he is not on the same level as God. I mean, can a, can a, can a gnat move a mountain? Can a, can a fly get to Mars? Can a, can a paper airplane, you know, fly a hippo? Y'all like, what are you talking about, Lee? I know that's crazy, right? It's all crazy. And when I talk about Satan, don't even, don't even get in your mind that Satan can compete with a holy God. Okay? He's limited. He's bound like a, like a dog that's chained up. He's limited. But what he can do is this, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a fight going on. It's a fight that's not against a person now. We're not fighting against the Amalekites. We're not fighting against the Philistines. We're fighting against the devil's evil schemes, okay? His whole goal is to trick us to not understand the beauty of a holy God that loves us. For me to say, yeah, you love me unless I do this, and then you don't really love me. Hey, that's what Satan, Satan wants a, a but. You love me, but this God. You love me except when I behave like this God. And so what, what Satan is trying to constantly get us to do is take in, dive deeply into the evil schemes that he provides. And so what this verse is saying is that from, from the foot soldiers to the generals, that entire army is working to try to convince us of Satan's evil scheme. But God's people will be like Moses when the scheme seems like we have no way out. And when God shows up and shows out our trust and our belief and God will increase and our prayer to God will rise. I can't sing, Pastor. That's okay. Worship the way he's wired you. It's always been about a response of your heart. It's never been about the method. Notice, I'm not saying worship music. I'm not just saying worship dancing. We're saying worship. That's everything. We even pray when we start service in the morning. Lord, would you allow all things to be contributing towards worship here? That somebody would feel blessed when they open up the bulletin. Reading about what you're doing in the life of this body in this community. That all things would contribute towards us being able to worship. And we saw the diversity in Moses and Miriam. You got Moses singing. Miriam grabbed the tambourine and go to town on the leg. Her and the girls just start dancing in the streets. You know what I mean? You see a diversity there. But then we have a, we have a portion of this chapter that, uh, that, that breaks our heart a bit. That, that shows us that we can have some great experiences, some mountaintop experiences, but then have some valley low doubts. Verse 21, excuse me, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came tomorrow, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. For the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palms, and they camped there near the water. Maybe you like me, you know, your heart breaks because you see the people of God just worshiping, man, just coming out of this miracle experience where God provides. And what does it take? Three days of travel? Now, I don't, I don't want to, you know, play them because when we fast intentionally, okay, we got to gear ourselves up, you know, we got to. All right, I'm going to get everything right. You still might drink some juice. You still might drink some water. You usually don't fast and stay, stay on a running workout with no, no water. I mean, these are people who are traveling through the wilderness for three days with nothing to drink. So I get that they might have been a little thirsty, all right? <laughs> I, th- I think we should, we should extend that grace. But we also know there are people who just went through one of the greatest miracles next to the cross itself, just went through that, just experienced it. And so our hearts break because it shows us how quickly we can be a people who receive a blessing and then grumble. Who receive a blessing and then our our gaze shifts from what we just received to what we want more of. Not focused on the holy God that's in the midst of it all. We focus on the, on the things that's immediately right in front of us. I wish that it, there would have been a line here that said, and so the people turned and asked God to show up yet again. You know? Still acknowledging you thirsty. You could be thirsty. I get it. Still acknowledging you can't drink the water. Yeah. But God, you're going to have to show up again. Instead, turn and grumble. But there's a word that's in this text that, uh, that, that caught me off guard a little bit. And it was found in verse 25. Uh, it's the last word in that sentence, and it seemed a little out of place to me. It says, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Put them to the test. And I started thinking about this word. Wow, God puts people to the test, you know? But I realized that my context was incorrect, that I was thinking of test in the, in the sense of tempt, that God would tempt us. And so I, I was led to James because I want to make sure that if I, if I jump there, that I, that I guide, guide our, our crew well, that maybe none of you would jump there. But in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, it says this. Because I wanted to look at the difference between testing and tempting. When you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
Don't be deceived, by my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here, the, mo- the motivation for tempting is to lead you to sin. So God cannot be tempted to sin, and he would never tempt us to sin. But God does put people through trials. He does test us because ultimately it refines our character. So there's this old song that's called Refiner's Fire. Has anybody heard that before? It's based on Micah uh, chapter 3 verse 2. And it describes this process of purifying metal. Metal has impurities in it. And so in order to, to get out the impurities, you have to stick the metal in the fire. And as the metal gets heated, More and more dross rises to the top of it. And that dross has the impurities within it. And so what you would do is pull it out, remove the dross, put it back in the fire. Pull it out, remove the dross, put it back in the fire. All to get a perfect and pure metal. You see, God's desire is to test us in a way that refines us. So that we can take on character that looks more like him. So this whole process of sanctification is God saying, I love you enough to put you in some fire sometime. To allow you to experience some challenge. Not that you would sin, not to tempt you, but to grow you. But to refine you. But to allow you to resemble me. And I got to get some stuff out of you. I got some some obstacles that you're going to overcome that will show you. Man, you didn't think highly enough of yourself, and you just did that. You didn't think you'd be able to get through that. But with me, you can get through all things. Blessed, blessed to actually be refined by a God that loves us so much. God is in the process of refining and testing us. Here the Israelites miss a great opportunity to glorify him. Instead, they complain. But notice, they go from verse 22, where their need, where in verse 22, their needs are met. Uh, in verse 25, excuse me, uh, they have a need in verse 22. In verse 25, the need is met. And by verse 27, they're delighting in the abundance that God provides. Yet again, another opportunity for them to write a song from the pen of their hearts. This God, he's so merciful. He communicates a plan of health for his people. Moses writes his first song of worship, and and God gives his first command, which he designed to show people how to please him. The aim is that God's people would always be obedient. That's God's desire, that we would love him and be obedient to him. Now, you might have been thinking what I was thinking, which is, wait a minute, Pastor. Did you see what God said, though? He said that if they're not obedient, they're going to receive some of the same type of uh, um, uh, punishments that the Egyptians received. Isn't isn't that a bit extreme? So my my wife and I are blessed to have four kids. And uh, during our time of raising our four kids, We have never had our children celebrate one of the ways in which we discipline them. Never did it. When there was a baby and they was going towards the the outlet, we tapped their hands, screaming. 
screaming bloody murder, you know? When he was getting a little older, we put him in a timeout, screaming, you know? Get a little older, had to spank him, screaming, you know? Take away activities, screaming. There was never a time where they said, oh, this discipline, this is delightful, Father. (laughs) Never happened. I say that because no matter what God would have said would have been the result of a disobedient people, somebody in this room would have been mad about it. Somebody in this room would have said, oh, really? That's what gets to happen to him? See, God chooses the way in which he's going to respond to his people. Okay? And we're blessed that God doesn't have this system of eye for an eye or this this system doesn't exist anymore in our day to day in the way that Christ has covered us with his gracious hand. We're blessed by that. But family, don't, don't ignore this reality. Like don't, don't take, um, don't allow punishment to even be your motivation for worship. You know, the people of God shouldn't have looked at this and been like, uh-oh, well, I'm scared we're going to have a plague happen to us, so let's be obedient. No, no. Be obedient because you get to delight in God. Okay? That's, that's what God is trying to show us. Don't get focused on what the consequences are. Get focused on he just performed a miracle. And he wants to continue to perform miracles. And you get to continue to delight in his ways. And so today, as we get to celebrate this, this holy God, the challenge to us all is what does it look like for you to worship? What does it look like for the trust that God has placed within your heart, the belief that he has placed within your heart to actually be expressed as you have to wrestle with, Lord, how have you provided for me? How have you cared for my family? How do I worship you in a way that brings you glory? But that worship should move us towards more and more obedience. Not out of fear of consequences, but an obedience out of delight in bringing this holy God joy. Would you pray with me, family? God, we are um, in awe that, uh, yeah, that, that just the people of Israel could so quickly go from such a high moment to such a low moment. But we understand it so clearly because we've done it in our own lives, and we confess it to you now. But Lord, let us live out of the joy, the beauty, the grace that you provide. Let us live out of, Father, an obedient opportunity that, that we, an obedient experience that we can have because your spirit lives in us. It empowers us to be able to live in obedience to you. So we can sit and say, oh, but we're not perfect. Man, or we can say, Lord, thank you for your process of refining us, drawing us closer to you every day. Praise the Lord, I'm not like I used to be. Got some ways to grow, but I'm going to grow because of you. Lord, thank you. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.